Every Lent we go on retreat. Every Lent we go on retreat, we review our lives. We, uh, we have to, uh, we guard against temptation. And we have to grant the following fact. That if Jesus could be tempted, so could we. You know, I do find increasingly people put themselves in these Archimedean positions where they can sort of run the world with a great lever, but don't think there can ever be a mistake. And I find it indirectly in a hundred ways. I'd love to hear your indirections. But my favorite one is I'll ask people who their heroes are, and they have none. They have none. I want to say it again and get it off my chest. I'll feel better. I won't get an ulcer. <laughs> they have none. And I mean, when you interview them further, they're their only hero. And so the greatness of human life, achievement, judgment, wisdom, insight, compunction, admitting mistakes, and so on, is nowhere else. And I think that immediately would give anybody pause. You don't have to be Sherlock Holmes, you can be somebody like Dr. Watson and figure it out. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? And so if Christ could be tempted, then indeed so could we. But what I want to focus is on that word temptation and mention in the briefcases, the toolboxes we carry through life, one of the most useful words as a tool to use like a cutter to open cartons, to figure out life, to label life aright, is temptation. You know, life comes at us unlabeled. We have to figure out what it is. You go to an art museum, everything's labeled. Even if it's sort of abstract, or if it's an impressionist, first you see the snow, later you see the Paris Boulevard below it. You can figure out what it is often by the, or at least you know the angle the artist was coming from by the label. But life comes at us unlabeled, and it takes people a long while to figure that out. And we all have left the dinner table and laughed later on, telling the story, well, this was completely upside down, wasn't it? where people would be sure something was happening and it was simply their mania. People would be sure something was happening and miss the very things that were happening and have reality interpreted all upside down. And so the matter of calling things by the right name is the beginning of wisdom. To call things by the right name is the beginning of wisdom. And to work militantly not to do that is the opposite. It's to be in the devil's camp. And we can see examples of each with ease. And so the matter with that uh, temptation, that word, is to be able to label things in our path as trapdoors out of life. We all have met people this year, who've gone, or the year before, or the year before that, who have gone down rabbit holes never to return. People say, oh, they, they believe this silly fool, or they believe that, or they believe some other things, and they're gone don't get along with their family, anybody else, don't take part in things or obstructive here, whatever. And by the way, that could be any of us on a given day. I mean, I, thank you. I'm from Philadelphia. I'm from Philadelphia. Can you imagine? How did I ever end up here? It's an embarrassment, but here we are for the moment. You know, you're very good to put up with it. Think of how kind you are. There's an obstructive tactic right there, having a Philadelphia to celebrate. Good Lord. I mean, it's good to be inclusive. Sometimes we go too far. So the first temptation, we, uh, we're tempted to settle for lesser things, for bread, as opposed to the great purposes of our life, of our lives. 
And uh, we settle for things that don't really attract our deepest hungers, but trivial stuff, the fast foodization of everything else. We hunger for many deep and profound things. You see it when you hear people talking about what they do or the, the Christian life and they, they have a particular practice which is a petty thing and they miss the grandeur of it. They don't know the fathers, they don't know this, that, the other thing. You know, I was uh, in, the, in the student center at our dinners, we used to have them there as opposed to out in the courtyard because of COVID uh, or in the gym. Uh, there was, I remember there was someone who came back from India and she said in front of everybody there, she said, uh, there's nothing private, she said in front of everybody, you know, over there they pray with beads. It's a shame the Catholic Church doesn't ever use beads with which to pray. And when she looked this way, this whole half of the room went like that. And then when she looked this way, you'll never guess what the other half of the room did. But that's all of us on a given day. Missing this, that, saying, I wish the church had someone to unify the best philosophy of the time and so on. Well, we had Thomas Aquinas and we're looking for you to do that now which someone taught me how the human heart works and what its needs are and was the greatest experience of all time, well, that's St. Augustine. I wish someone had a sense in talking to God that God never gives all the virtues to any one person, but different ones to each, each and another so that we all need each other. That's St. Catherine of Siena in the chapel of our women doctors of the church. And they all remind us and enlarge our world. You go over to England in those old homes when people were shorter and the joists are lower and so on and so you're, you're bending over going around. Well, some of us live in a world like that and call it Catholicism instead of the great cathedrals which are really our full gift if we allow ourselves to expand it out completely. We simply settle for fast food or bread when our call is to things far, far greater. The good Lord faced that temptation and we do too. You don't give in. You don't give in because here you are in church. You could have rolled over, read the newspaper, whatever. I take my hat off to you doing all the right thing in the midst of many temptations. Here you are. You could have hit the, you could have, uh, instead of bread, it could have been the snooze button. <laughs> but here you are. I shall give you all power and glory, but uh, being offered things that are empty. Being offered things that are empty. And no, instead, what we want to do is work for God alone. Only him, Christ says, only him will he serve. Because it's God who gives us our work, God who gives us our calling, gives us our vocation, and so on. God gives us many things and many gifts. Sometimes we get caught up in a given gift and don't realize that it's for use in the world with others. And when we get out and do it and use it and share it, that is the first time we find out who we are. You can use the example of a great deal of wealth. You can use it with this talent or that talent. But some people think it's all for them and they use it for themselves. And they get contracted into something smaller than their belly button. When all the time they could have started this, done that, headed up this, given to this, helped this other person here, learned of life, learned of them, learned of this place, learned of that group, become the friend of all those people. And on that they missed out and that was to be their life but it ain't, because it was so small. Then the, the third one, to test God. To say, as if I were to say, this is the way it should be to God. Can you imagine? It's gotta be this way or no way or I'm just gonna leave. Now, you know, in the church we've had troubles. Born of people, priests, others, 
So my heart goes out to people who've left. I've often seen them on the street, chatted with them, tried to bring people back in, and we all have, and you all do a great job of that. God love you, and here you are here. But that matter of things have to be exactly this way and no other, or I won't believe in God, doesn't allow exactly room for God unless, gee, am I God? Perhaps not, perhaps not. And if I could give an example, I give an example of something that I had to have the person repeat three times, say four times, and everyone else had to do the same thing. I was, uh, there was a fellow here, a delightful person and a friend of friends at a distance, and so that's why I knew everyone telling this story. And it's a very human thing, a very touching thing, a very difficult thing, so my heart goes out to the family facing a difficulty. Maybe we start with that to put everything on the table. Are you okay? And so uh, they, the person telling me this was the uh, little baby, now grown up, who's going to marry this fellow. And... Uh, she says when she was a little baby, she was sick. And she was there with the other sick little babies in the hospital. And her parents saw a priest come in and baptize another poor little baby who was sick. And uh, they went over to the priest and said, would you please baptize our little baby? We're worried about her. And so the priest baptized her and she immediately got better and they left the church. Because of that, they left the Catholic church. So I said, I'm sorry, I, fell I, I missed something. Could you tell me that again? She said, yes. She said, I was very sick in the hospital. They thought I was going to die. A priest came in to baptize another little baby who was in danger of death. So my parents said, would you please come over and baptize our little baby? And uh, from that point on, I immediately got better. So because of that, we left the Catholic Church. So I said, I'm sorry, I, I don't know how I missed this. Could you tell me that again? And she said, well, it was this baby that was sick. I was sick. There was a priest baptizing the baby, so they came over, would you baptize our baby? I immediately got better, so they left the Catholic Church. Now, I offer that as an example of things can only go our way. We don't want some, and they had, you know, understandable in a human way, the idea that God should not make their babies getting better contingent on the water of baptism, but we don't even know that's the case. That was coincidental. Post hoc ergo propter hoc, you tell me. But I think it gives a vivid example of example three, uh, perhaps, with the proviso that they're loving parents, and she's a lovely young woman, and they're doing the best they know, and so are we, and we've made equal mistakes and fallen to temptations too. And thus our Lord shares our temptations and makes them vivid in his own life. And we made them very vivid in ours. Let's not get any more vivid but we ask God's help. We ask God's help. And we're grateful for the help of the good Lord. Be with me, Lord, when I am in trouble. Psalm 91, a marvelous psalm to pray, to discover and to pray and to learn lines from. Be with me, Lord, when I am in trouble. Let's pray for all families with kids with illness who face great trouble. Easy for us to talk about uh, what marvelous things they do. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider supporting us by visiting stpaulsharvardsquare.org. That's stpaulsharvardsquare.org. God bless and see you next time.